first off, let's talk about the bulletin real quick. <laughs> the reason it's messed up is because my wife offered to do it this week. And it's, it wasn't her fault. It was not her fault. I'm not throwing her on the bus. Do not tell her that Jeremiah said anything bad about her. Do not do that. What happened was we sent it to a different computer, and when it went to that computer, it got all messed up. And so I, without her knowing, I tried to fix it. And apparently <laughs> that is the product <laughs> of my fixing it. So it was my fault. Um, so uh, we... You're not wrong. No one changed Wednesday to Tuesday after Monday, okay? So it's still Monday. Tuesday still follows that. Yeah. yeah. So a little grace. Um, Not many people. Um, Anyway, so we're talking about it's the 40-year anniversary of this ministry here in Quartzsite. And so we've been talking about the vision of God's church in the sense of God's big vision that he is calling all believers to. And we started talking about this last week, how God calls us to three parts of that vision. And so real quick, um, that's what this is, that God desires his people to be in his vision as the church. So that's the global body of believers that we are all called to this, that we are all called to gospel work. And then specifically to individual ministries, such as this ministry, such as the ministries down the road, like Isaiah 58, and then individually as gospel presenters ourselves. So each of those are part of God's vision. And so all of it is to bring the gospel to the nations. Right. So that's what we're talking about, God's big vision. And so I'm sharing with you the history of the God's vision in the Alliance. So last week we talked about how the Alliance started with just seven people, seven people that said, you know what, God is calling us to reach out to the the immigrants as they're coming into New York. And this was in the 1880s. So 1880, 1881, that that year, all this is happening. And so these seven people, they left the the big upper class um, or middle upper class uh, church in New York, where the pastor was making $5,000 a year. Now, to put that into perspective, that would translate today to over $100,000. So they left this ministry, and it was big. It was influential in the New York. is the biggest church in that area, the most uh, influential. They left that ministry, and they met together, and they prayed together. And so they decided, we're going to share... Um, we're going to launch, in a sense, that's a word that we use today. We're going to launch this ministry, and we're going to invite people to come and be a part of this. And so they put an ad out in the paper, and they were ready for Sunday morning that people were going to come. And what ended up happening was like, it was seven people that started this, plus the pastor was eight, and one person showed up. And praise God, it started to grow, just by one person. And then the next week is 17. And then it kept going and going and going as they met together. They started coming together and say, what do we need to do to to follow where God is calling us? And so they started contacting other believers, other churches, and they started praying together. And there was a movement of God and they started a Bible school called NIAC. And so they started all these things. Then they started meeting in other places like in Maine. And at Maine, they had this little camp that they would meet at. And 
they had they invited this preacher from Chicago and the preacher came out and he says, we're all in agreement, right? That God is doing something. And there's, yeah. And he says, this theme this week is Jesus is returning. And he opened up to Matthew 24 and he shared from verse 14. And that is this verse. And it has become a mantra of the Alliance ever since that. So Matthew 24, 14 reads like this. It says, get that up there. Uh, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so the mantra of the alliance became, bring back the king. Our job is to do gospel work. And when that gospel work is done, whenever God says that it's done, he will return. So let's do our part. Let's bring back the king. Let's do our part. And from that moment, something happened. The next step in the alliance occurred. It was two groups began. They had the Christian alliance. And this was anyone of any denomination could join this alliance to send out missionaries. And so stories came out about how they would have these these meetings and people were giving their rings and brooches and they were giving gold and they were giving silver just to send missionaries, just to train them up and to send them. Then they had the Evangelical Missionary Alliance, which was the one that trained the missionaries and the one that sent them out, funded so they could go and do this ministry. And those first missionaries that went out, they they were given pine boxes for their luggage. And they would put all their earthly possessions in there. And they would take it, and it was a representation of we're not coming back because that's not just luggage. It's our coffin. And so they would go out to places around the world. And since then, God has been building this group of people, what's now called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, was with over 700 um, international workers, both what we call, we no longer call missionaries, but basically missionaries. They're called IWs, international workers. And the reason why that is because it's easier to get into countries. Um, we have them that we can't even talk about. Like one missionary that comes here a lot, we can never record any of his things. We cannot even talk about, name his name and his wife's name because they're in, they're in places where if they were found out, they would be prisoned or at the very least kicked out. So... We're in 70 countries around the world, and the whole purpose of the Alliance is always to reach the unreached people groups. Like, that is where the Alliance's heart is, is not to go in places that are fully saturated with the gospel, but to go into places that need to hear the gospel. One of those places was the Hmong people. They were the hill people of, of the uh, in the Chinese area, um, and the they were persecuted and killed by everyone it seemed like and one of the groups that went in was the alliance to reach these people and so that is the desire of the alliance is to reach the unreached people groups and so we are a product of that today right here so you might not know anything of the alliance this might be your first time in the alliance church you might have just stumbled on that you might have thought well i I was going to the assemblies and my GPS sent me to the wrong place. That has happened before. Hopefully you stay the rest of the service. Um, but there are people that come in here and they don't know what the alliance is. In fact, I've had people come in here and say, are you guys a cult? 
And it's like, we'll stay a little bit. We're going to sacrifice the chicken if that's okay with you. But we're, you know. Um, and so, but you might not know what the alliance is. And what I'm doing today, I'm not trying to pat the alliance on the back. Okay? So please don't leave here thinking, oh, they just care about the... Uh, we care about the vision of God. Like, that's what we care about. We don't care about the alliance name. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus building His church. But we're talking about what the vision that God has done here because we're celebrating His work for the last 40 years. And so what we talked about last week is just that, the vision of God. But from the vision of God, when the people of God start following that, He starts to build on His vision. And that's what we're talking about today. Is God building on His vision. So when we start looking through Scripture, last week we started in Genesis 1. We started in Genesis 1, 28. It said God's vision for humanity after he creates them is that they would fill the earth and that they would take dominion over it we talked about that that went south right genesis 3 that went south that humanity they fell we're going to talk about all of that next week but then we went through genesis with with noah genesis with abraham and we went through and we saw god's vision Building and building and building throughout the New Test or the Old and New Testaments. What we're talking about today is how does that God actually build that? And so when we come to Noah, and you know what God's vision for Noah was? Build an ark. Okay, He said, Go build an ark. He tells him everything how to do that. He says, Build an ark. So Noah, what does he do? He builds an ark. Okay, I like interaction, so you can, you can answer questions. Sometimes they're rhetorical, don't answer those. Um, so he builds an ark. So when we get to Genesis 7, he already builds the ark. Genesis 7, God, it's done. This is what God says to Noah. Don't get Moses and Noah mixed up. Noah, he says, it says, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. What was, how did God build onto that first vision of go build an ark? Now get into it. Okay, you know how long it took God to go get in the ark and uh, build the ark and get into it? About 120 years. Let me ask you a question. If someone told you, if you had a job, right? You went into a job, say it's a, um, Maybe, you know, data management or something like that. And they told you first day, I want you to just put in these pieces of paper. Just type them in and get them in. And they never said another thing for you for 30 years. What kind of job would that be? Boring, right? 120 years, God says, here's my vision for you, Noah. Build an ark. And then he does it. For 120 years, he does that one thing. I have one task, build an ark. And then after it's all said and done, God says, okay, now get in. Then, about a year later, we get Genesis 9. Genesis 9-1, the rains come, the flood comes. Now, listen to what God says. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. It's the same thing he 
had envisioned for humanity in Genesis 1.28. So now he says, so it goes, build the ark, get into the ark, now go do what I created you to do. Build the earth. And God is building on, even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of judgment, God is building on his original vision. And that all leads to Abraham. And we talked about Abraham last week. And Abraham, in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, God says, I'm going to send you to a land you don't know. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless the world through you. And then, you know how long it took for God to begin that? 25 years. And you know what happened in between that time and, the, and when Isaac was born, the promised child? A bunch of stuff that Abraham was an idiot. Like, first off, God says, leave your family. You know the first thing he does? Hey, Lot, <laughs> my, my family member, come with me. And if you follow all that, Lot does a lot of bad things. Things that happen and Lot gets into trouble and he ha- Abraham has to save. Like, there's a lot of issues before he could get to that next step in God's vision. There's also some stuff in there about Abraham calling his sister, or his wife his sister. God had a w- waited for whatever reason until that promise came, that next step in the vision. That next step was Isaac. And, and Abraham actually tries to force the hand of God, in a sense, to take the next step by going with Hagar and having Ishmael. It was almost like Abraham was like, I could build this myself. But that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's vision. It was Isaac that was God's vision. And so the next step was Isaac. 25 years later. And we can just keep going through the Old Testament. Okay. Isaac, then comes Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, they both start groups. The Edomites, the Ishmael, or the Israelites. The Ishmaelites too. That's a group that comes out of this. But you have the Edomites, you have the Israelites. Through the Israelites, then you have the 12 tribes. Through the 12 tribes, you have the movement to Egypt. From there you have Moses bringing them out. From there you have Joshua bringing them into Canaan. From there you have the judges. And it's all moving. God's building upon that original vision. I'm going to bless the nations through you, Abraham. And it keeps building and building and building. You get to David and the monarchy. And it keeps building and building and building. And through all of it, we'll talk about next week, there's sin and there's issues. There's judgment. All that goes in there. But God continues to build and to build and to build. So when we get into the New Testament, God continues to build on His vision from the Old. And Jesus brings up things about that in places like Mark chapter 12. So in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking to the religious teachers, and this is what He says. Or he's talking to the people about the religious teachers. He says, says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why did the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? 
This is, we'll stop right there. This is, Jesus is saying, okay, see the building, right? God has done this. Okay, why is everyone saying it's through David? Because everyone understood that the Messiah was coming through the lineage of David. So Jesus is taking that, and now he's building on top of that. Because he's pointing to who the Messiah is. And so he continues. He says, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be a son? Jesus is building on this understanding. That, okay, so the Messiah is coming through the lineage of David. And he's saying, wait a second, wait a second. If that's true, right? This is the rhetorical stuff, right? That's true, right, everyone? And everyone's like, yeah, that's right. And he says, okay, then, then why does David call him Lord? That would put this Messiah above him. But he says, son, he's supposed to be below him. So Jesus is asking this question, why? It's because he's, he's trying to help them understand how God is building onto that original vision. And what he puts forth is that he is God. That the Messiah is through the lineage of David, but he's God come down, took on human flesh, born of a virgin, and walks now right in front of them. He's building on their understanding. In fact, at the end, after everything's done, after the cross is done, after the resurrection is done, he sits down with all his disciples and it says he takes them through the law and the prophets and telling them everything about him in there. He starts showing them how God has built all of this to this moment that they are living in right then. And so as Jesus is going through his job, which is to go to the cross, this is what he says in John. In John chapter 12, it says this. Jesus is talking. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? This is Jesus talking. What shall I say when my soul is troubled? He says, Father, save me from this hour. No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So this is a huge moment because this is the culmination of all that God has built up until this point. God has been doing this for thousands of years. We talk about Noah, 120, right? Abraham, 25, when they start seeing these things built. Then you go from that point. Abraham actually goes into Canaan at one point and says to God, should I just take this over? Like a conqueror, right? Just take this over. And God says, no, no, no. Their judgment is not yet. And from there to when their judgment comes, it's Joshua. That thing that God was building did not come until Joshua. That's like 400 plus years later. And that whole thing about, we talked about the offspring during Christmas. The whole thing about the offspring, that was coming through David that's a thousand years. We have a thousand from when Abraham is talking with God. A thousand years before that promise is coming to fruition. 
even longer than that from Genesis 3.15 when we talked about how that's the first hope of the offspring. Thousands of years later, here comes David. And then Israel has to go into exile. And all of it's to build to this moment where Jesus is sitting and he says, what shall I say? Father, take this from me? No. Glorify your name. And he goes to the cross. He dies. He's killed so that we may experience life. He is resurrected so that we may experience eternal life. That's where the building of God is. And then Paul writes in Galatians. He talks about the promise and the gospel. So in Galatians 3, this is what he says. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's, he's pointing back, right? And then he says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. You are the promised blessing of the nations if you have accepted Christ. That God spoke to Abraham. And this is what he says. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what is the gospel? That God was going to bless the nations. Why? Because God created us to be with Him. But our sins separated us from Him. And God was bringing them back. He's providing the pathway back. And so, Jesus, paying the price for sin, Jesus died. Not just died, He rose again. And now anyone who puts their trust in Jesus has eternal life. And that life everlasting starts as soon as you accept Jesus as your Savior and it lasts into eternity. That's the Gospel. And when Paul says it was spoken to Abraham, he's saying Abraham heard the promise that God was going to bless all nations. How does he do that? It's through Jesus Himself. And you know what? We're in the next built part of that vision. Because then Jesus rises and He brings His disciples to Himself. And in Matthew 20 says, 28, it says, Go. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have taught you. And I am with you to the end of the age. We're in that part of the built. So it took all that time up to Jesus. And we're now in the 2,000 years since then. We're in that stage of built on the vision. And what does Jesus say? What What is He building? His church. He's building His church. And we're in that building stage. We're, we're the workers that come to the construction site and say, where do I go? What, what am I, what's my job, right? That's where we are. And so, what are we supposed to be doing in this stage of the building process? 
I want to share with you 1 Corinthians. Oh, no, I'll share with you this. <laughs> this ministry started, we talked about in, 19, in the late 1970s, a group met together, started praying. They were given the vision of reaching the young people of Quartzsite. That was their vision. In the late 80s, they began to congregate. More and more people were gathering to this. In 1984, they became officially the Quartzsite Alliance Church. That's what we're celebrating, is that moment when they said, this is, where, this is the path that God has for us. And so 40 years later, that's what we're celebrating. You might not know it, but you are walking in the steps of people who saw the vision of God for this ministry, and you are now part of that. Even if you're here for one day, You've just stepped into God's vision for this particular ministry, for this particular time in this particular town. Fast forward that. 2007, my wife and I moved down here. And we start ministering. It's, it's hard, but a couple years later, we're invited to a meeting of leaders in our town. Uh, the chief of police was there. The head of the fire department was there. He wasn't a chief at the time. I don't know what's go how that worked. But uh, they were there. We were meeting at the, uh, the fire department. Uh, there's people from different groups in town. I think the principal of the local high school was there at the moment. And all these people were there. The late... the. Um, town manager she gets up and she says before we start i just want to point out the alliance youth ministry i asked them here because i want uh, everyone to know how much they have done for this ministry and understand it wasn't us she was pointing to it was the ministry she was pointing to we only had been there for a short time so we didn't have a like a lot of impact she said since the alliance church has started in the, their ministry with a full-time youth pastor um, cr uh, teen crime has almost been zero because of what they're doing. And we can only attribute it to them. And so what we have seen is work. We have seen families restored. We have seen teens come to Christ. We have seen um, baptisms. We have seen um, disciples made. We have seen other towns and other ministries impacted through the ministry that you're a part of. We had a, um, a brother, um, a fellow pastor and his wife. They were a part of a ministry. To, um, we called them the Motorcycle Church. Um, and they were a part of this ministry and they had a bunch of kids and they somehow they got in touch with us. And they said, hey, can we bring them to one of your um, events and we said sure come on over they were so floored by that that even today they keep bringing it up it's like it was just another event to me it was just something you know it was something we did it was something i was stressed out about it was something that took a lot of effort and yet it impacted them and it's not hey good job jeremiah good job alliance it's what god is doing what he has done and so places like Ehrenberg has been in impacted places like Baus and Salome we've had abilities to go into those places and share the gospel 
at one point we made a decision that our goal in sharing the gospel was we would try to be 100% of gospel saturation with every single team. And so I think the highest we've ever gone is like 82% just through this ministry. And so what we did at one point, we're like 80%, that's great. There's about 10% that the other churches are meeting. You know what we want? The other 10%. So we never even talked to those teams that were being ministered to by the other churches. Not that we didn't like them. Not that we think they were bad or they weren't worthy. But we wanted those that weren't being heard, that weren't hearing the gospel. That's what this ministry is about. Is planting seeds, is is watering, doing whatever that God has called us to do in His vision for this town. And we're not in competition with anyone. We're here because that's what God has for us. And if God says something different, we're there. But that's what God's vision is for this particular ministry. And so for us as a church, and I don't mean, I I try not to use church when I'm talking about the local congregation. The church everywhere. Our brothers and sisters down the road. Our brothers and sisters across the nation, across the 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 borders, across the ocean. Though that's the church. So when usually I say the church, that's what I'm talking about. So what is it, our responsibility within this vision of God for the church? This is how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians. Now we can get there. I'm going to read this. It's a pretty long passage. But I want you to hear Paul's desire for the church. And this is really important. If you've never studied 1 Corinthians, it is the most, I believe, the most important book for the church. A few years ago, we went through it as a, as a body of believers. We went through this so that we could understand this is what the church is. And you might have gone through this. I hope so. But it, Paul builds and builds and builds until he gets to chapter 12, and then he just lets loose on what the church is. And so in chapter 12, verse 12, this is what he says. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. 
and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And from there, Paul goes into the love chapter. Picture this. Our bodies are what God's saying, this is the church. And so your hand is important. You ever hurt your hand or not have a hand? And you can't do something? You go to reach for that cup, you go to reach for that hammer, and you go, there's pain? You ever um, get up? And your feet don't want to work? And, or you stand up real fast and you get that blackness and you kind of just go? Yeah. Your body, when it's not working properly, isn't fun to be in. Right? But every part of your body is purposeful. And, and what Paul is saying is, look, that's the church. Every part is important. Every pinky, every toe, every knee, every nose hair, every ear hair, it's all important. All of it's important. But when one's not working, the rest suffers. Now think about this. If you didn't have eyebrows, have you ever been in this situation? You're, you're lighting your um, grill up and you don't realize how much propane is there. And just singe, right? And hopefully you had something that protect your face and it didn't burn off your eyebrows, right? But if you burned off your eyebrows, if you shaved them off for whatever reason, what happens when you sweat? Gets in your eyes, right? If you didn't have lashes and you're out here in the desert and it starts blowing wind, what happens? You get stuff in your eyes because your lashes are there to help keep the stuff out. You know, we don't think about things like that because we just live. Your eyelashes aren't going to get a broken bone, right? When you break something, you know it, right? And you're like, okay, I got to take care of this. I got to treat it. So you don't think about your eyelashes until one's plucked, right? Or something's off. Yet they're so important. Every part of the body is important. It's the same in the church. And so the question is, what's my role? Right? What, where am I in the body? Am I a toe? Am I an ear? Am I an eye? Am I a nose? Am I, you know, am I back hair? What am I? Like, what am I in the body of Christ? What's my role? Because it doesn't matter if you think, well, it's not that important. It is extremely important. 
And so the question is always, where do you want me, God, right? That, that should be our, our thing. And so the church is very diverse. We're a, divi- a diverse people. You know, what's interesting in the Alliance, it started with upper middle class um, white people. Like, that's what it started with. Right now, the Alliance, just in the United States, is one of the most diverse denominations with, all, with white churches now in the minority. Does that matter? No, because we are one church. The color of our skin doesn't matter. But we're all doing different ministries. That's why it's important. That's why I say we're not in competition with anyone in town. Because God has given them vision, and we want them to walk in that vision. And when they walk in that vision, you know what we do? Praise God. That they're walking in the vision that God has given them. And you know what? It hurts me when other ministries are not walking in God's vision. Because it's like, oh, I wish that you would do it. So that you could be utilized for the kingdom of God. And I don't know if you've ever been in a church where it's dying, where there is no vision. We, we attended one when we, me and my wife, when we first got married, we wanted to be servants, and so we, we found a church. We thought, we asked one of our um, mentors, uh, where do you think we should serve? What's a church that no other college students go to? And they said, oh, there's one out here. And so they didn't give us the name. They're just like, there's a church out in the, this area. Go, go there. And so we went out with, there was two, we didn't know. So we just went to one, and it was a dying church. And you could feel that it was dying. And you know why? No vision. They were there because they were obligated to attend a church that they had been attending for years. It wasn't about the gospel. It was about, we're here until we die. And that's sad. Because you know what? There was, there was people in that church that were hungry for what God was going to do. But no one wanted to do it. No one wanted to step out in faith. It was heartbreaking. I don't ever want to see this ministry do that. I don't want to see any ministry do that. And so the question is, is what is my role in that? Because God has called you to ministry. That ministry might be praying. And that's all you can do. You know what? Extremely important. We need more people praying. The church needs to be a praying church. We can't just say, well, you know, this over there. They'll do it. No, no, no. I am a body part within the body of Christ. What's my job? If I'm broken, I need to be mended. So I need to be with my brothers and sisters. I need to be sharing my life. I need them to be praying so that I might get into where God has called me to. And you might, and I'm not saying that, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you are now a part of this ministry and you need to get plugged in here and you need to find your place here. That's not what I'm saying, because most of you, in a couple weeks, will be gone. You have a ministry of your own that you need to understand from God. One, I would hope, 
will at least be a prayer for us. Like one of the reasons why we encourage people to get the newsletters every year is so that you could be praying for us. Like if that's all you did in this ministry, that would be enough. And so we want prayers for our ministry. But you might go home, wherever that is, if that's a one stop, you might go home and God has a ministry for your church. And you might say, well, our church only has about 10 people. So? Jesus had 12. One of them was a loser. Okay? At the end, how many people did Jesus have? None. They all left. Size does not make a ministry. Capturing the vision of God does. And God builds His church. And so you might go home and you might say, well, we only have about 10 people. What can our ministry do? Start praying for the people in your community. First step. Start doing that. Be a praying church. Start praying for the, the other churches in your community. You know what I would... Here, here's a prayer request from me. Pray that we never lose the vision of God. That we don't put up and say, Hey, everyone, Lions Church is great. Hey, follow us. Pray that we never do that. That it's only the gospel. The only reason I'm sharing the Alliance stories is one, the ones I know. That's easy. And two, it's the anniversary. That's why I share it. So you can see this is what God is doing here. That is not to downplay any time God's doing any other ministry in any other place. I want God's ministry to flourish. There is a, um, a point in the Gospels where Jesus is doing ministry with his guys. And there's another guy off on these healing people in Jesus' name, casting out demons in Jesus' name. All the disciples get really upset and they said, Jesus, can we go over there and stop them? And Jesus says, no. <laughs> Those who are not against us, right? And so why should I have that same attitude as one of those disciples? I want the kingdom to flourish. I want Jesus to build his church. We follow a carpenter. You guys realize that? Like that's what he does is he builds. He's been doing it since the creation. He built the creation. He built probably built tables. He's building his church now. We are the ones that show up at the job site. And what do you do when you show up at a job site? Do you just start working? If you're not in charge, if you've never been there before, what do you do? You find the person that is in charge of your spot and you go, what do you want me to do? And they say this. Why do we not do that with Jesus? Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because we might think, you know, I'm really good at electrical. And Jesus is like, let's start with sweeping. Let's have you do that first. You sweep and we'll see. That's where we need to be. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Where would you have me? That's where I want to go. Because I'll tell you this. If tomorrow Jesus says, Jeremiah, you no longer get to preach. I would be bummed out because I like to. But you know what? That's Jesus' prerogative, not Jeremiah's. 
and that's what we should desire. Jesus, what's your prerogative? Not mine. It's your church. How do you want to build it? You ever been a part of a building process? How many people need to look over plans? How many people need to decide what goes where? If you're building a house, you and your wife are building your first house, you know how many people need to decide that? One, the wife. <laughs> right? Where would you like it, honey? Yeah. You know, what, what color? See, I'm of the opinion, we're renovating our house, I'm of the opinion, I don't care about colors. Because, you know what? Paints can change. I care about what the boss wants. If she's happy, I can deal with it. But what happens, I don't know if you've ever been on a job site, guys. Worked on this, um, before I came down here, worked in metal um, framing. Uh, since I was eight years old, I've been on job sites. Doing scrapping, doing putting up sheetrock, all of it. When I started full time, um, the my eight, when I turned eighteen, I started doing some, so really going at it in the summertime, and then I started working after college, um, full time. You know, one of the most annoying things was at the beginning of the day, we would all get around the plans to figure out what's going on. There was this one guy that always wanted to be the boss. And he kept saying, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. And the, our boss was like, you need to shut up. <laughs> he used more colorful words than that. But you need to shut up. This happened almost every single day on this job. The job lasted for three months. You know how annoying that got? I wanted to tell him to shut up. Like, just listen where the boss wants us and let's go do it. Why? Because too many, we've all had this, right? Too many chefs in the kitchen, too many chiefs, right? We, we need to sit back and say, okay, Jesus, where do you want me? That's where I want to be. So here's my challenge for you. It's very simple. Is go before the Lord this week. How do you want me to be using the building of your kingdom? It might be you need to start praying. It might be you need to start serving, right? It might be you need to give into this area. That's one of the reasons why when people come, like I'll say it right now so I don't have to say it later. When we take up a, a receive an offering, if this is your first time, don't give to this church. You know why? Because you don't know the ministry here. I don't know if you're called here. I don't want you to be in rebellion against God. If God puts it on, your, on you to give to this ministry, then give. If he doesn't, do not, because I don't want to be standing in front of God and God said, you know what, this person gave to your ministry. I didn't tell them to do that. I'm going to be like, that's not my fault. I told them not to. I want, do we understand that? I'd rather you, you be in the will of God than be in the rebellion. I can't emphasize that enough. And so, Lord, the question is, how do you want to use me in the building of your church? Again, are we talking about buildings? This? Is this the church? No. What are we talking about? The body of Christ. The gospel work. That's what we're talking about. 
How can I be utilized to build that? We have missionaries across this world. Some of them we can't even talk about. There's a guy and his wife. They just moved out of one ministry. They're into another ministry over in um, Europe. Um, we can't talk about his name. We can't talk about where he is because if we talk about it, he would be at the least deported, at the worst jailed. Because once you go into that jail, you don't come out. So we can't talk about him. But you know what? When they come back, they encourage us to pray for them. We get their newsletter, I think it's once a month, and we pray for them. I can't even tell you about it because I, I can't even post it on the prayer wall because anything that can be taken will be taken. And so I can't do anything for their ministry except for pray for them. Like, that's it. I can't do anything for someone's ministry unless God calls me to it. And so, Lord Jesus, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? I would ask that you pray about, do you want me to be a part of this ministry, this local body of believers, this one? And if God says no, and yet you still come, you still are um, part of the worship time, that doesn't bother me at all. I don't even know what people give. Like, I'm completely detached from that. Like, there's only like two people that know. You know what? They don't tell me squat. And I like it that way. Because that's not what I care about. I care about what God cares about. His will, not mine. His church, not mine. And so I hope that today you would grasp onto that. That this week you would say, Lord, wherever your church that you would have me to be a part of to build, that's where I want to be. Be careful, though, in saying this. Because Moses was called at 80. How many of you are, are 80? Past that. Okay, well, some of you haven't even been called yet. Abraham didn't get that promise till so he was a hundred. We are all walking as building as workers in the kingdom to build until the day God calls us home or he returns. Don't ever think God is done with you. Because he's not. I said this a couple weeks ago, I'll say this. Our the generation that's coming up needs grandparents. They need someone that is wiser than them. Okay? So you might go, well, I'm not that wise. You're wiser than a 15-year-old. Okay. Hopefully. They need that. God has placed you here. He's kept you here for purpose. Don't not walk in it. Is that a double negative? That worked. Thank you. I'm not an English. It's my second language. It's also my first, but... Don't let it pass you by. Because it's in that position where you go, why isn't God speaking to me? He already has. My favorite 
story from Judges. It's a downer of a book. My favorite story is where Deborah calls Barak and she says this, Has not God told you? God had already told Barak what to do. He already told him what to do. And he did not walk in what God had for him. God had vision for him. Something he wanted to do. And Barak did not walk in it. And so Deborah called him to task. Did not God tell you? And even then he said, only if you go with me. Let's walk in faith. Our Savior is a carpenter. He's a builder. Let's get into the construction site, all right? Paul said this about the armor of God, you know, the helmet of salvation. We could say today, put on your hard hat of salvation. All right, get into the building, get it done, okay? And the, and the famous words of a modern poet, get her done. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you because not only are you good to us, you're good in despite us. We don't have to be good enough for you. You're already good. You already love us when we're unlovable. You already care for us when we don't care. You already um, do everything necessary to bring us to yourself. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. You did it all. So, Father, I thank you for all that you do. Jesus, I thank you because you not only were you the sacrifice that covers sin, but you are also the, the architect and the builder of your church, and you have called your people into that work. So I ask that we would move, be moved by the Holy Spirit, that we would be empowered, that you would give clear direction to each one of us, that we would we would be walking that, that we would be arms that are useful, legs that are useful, pinkies that are useful, ears that will hear, that we are useful in this body of Christ. So, Father, thank you. Jesus, I thank you. We praise you in your name above all names. In Jesus' name, amen.